This week in the Archdiocese of Chicago, we celebrated uh, three new bishops ordained uh, this past week, just a couple days ago, one of whom, um, a couple of whom I know well, but one uh, in particular, Bishop Bob Lombardo, is a Capuchin friar of the Renewal, uh, CFR, kind of a well-known order out of New York of uh, Franciscans who try their best to live um, the Franciscan call to utter poverty, utter dependence on God, owning nothing in this world, and being and living among the poorest of the poor. And uh, Bishop Bob, then Father Bob, when he was in New York, in the Bronx, uh, was ministering to the homeless and the addicted and um, kind of the most outcast from society. And he had this idea to build up um, a kind of a home, a place where they could come and, and receive what they needed and they could care for them and pray with them. But there was not that much money, and they were kind of new to the area, and he was reticent to invest so much into a project like that. And it just so happened that uh, the missionaries of charity were uh, close by in the area, Mother Teresa's sisters, and uh, he would go say Mass for them every once in a while. And at one point, their superior, St. Teresa of Calcutta, was in town and uh, was with the sisters, and he was invited to say Mass with them. And he did so, and after Mass, he ate breakfast with them, with Mother Teresa, which is to say he ate breakfast while she watched because the missionaries of charity never eat with other people. They only eat their simple meals by themselves. Um, and he was asking for her advice. What should I do? Should I go with this project even though I don't have it fully funded yet? I'm kind of worried. I don't want to get in over my head and be in debt and all this stuff. And, and she said to him simply, looked at him right in the eye with her laser beams, and said, when you have uncovered something of the will of God, you must do it. And so he did it. And he did it on a shoestring budget, and God provided every step of the way. And that kind of has been his whole modus operandi for the rest of his priesthood and his life. Uh, is If you find something of the will of God, if God has disclosed his heart, his will for you in your life, do not wait. Just do it. There's a boldness that we're called to as Christians because... Um, Everything we have is a gift, and God gives it growth. If we try to plan it all out and figure it all out and depend any on our own abilities or our own powers, we're destined to fail. And so a lot of times what we're doing there is we're, we're burying our talent. We're, we're keeping ourselves safe from those risks that would be the very soil that, God, that God's seed would would flower in, would blossom in, and grow into something beautiful for him. What is this parable all about by that? Um, that these talents are given to us. The talent is literally, in Jesus' time and place, a huge amount of money. So five talents would have been thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And what are you going to do with that great gift? Um, everything, everything that you have is given to you. Every bit, I mean, that talent represents everything you have or call your own, your life, your breath, your abilities, your education, your family, um, everything that you have was given to you. It's not a possession. It's a gift. And the, the point of the parable is that only by opening our hands and letting those gifts out of them, not to grasp them, not to protect them, not out of fear to bury them, but to open them up and to dare to invest them dare to, to use them for the glory of God, then they will grow. And the one who does not do that, the one who buries it, 
uh, is afraid. He's afraid of the master. And in a way, it's almost like he, he sees it coming because what's the reward for the ones who do the, do the right thing, that invest their talents and, and make more? The master says, you've been trustworthy in little matters, so now I will, I will make you responsible for great ones. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like much of a reward. Like, you did a really good job with that little thing, now here's a huge job. You know, great responsibility is hardly a reward. It's, it's more pressure, more uh, work to do. But it is, mysteriously, in the kingdom of God, the reward, the only thing worth working for is that well done, good and faithful servant. Now here's more to do. Here's your dignity in collaborating with Christ in the mission of, of restoring the world, redeeming the world. And so it's, is it any wonder that if he sees that coming, like, okay, I have this one little talent. I was given less than the other guys. I better protect it. And uh, this is all I have. And he just buries it because he doesn't, he doesn't want the risk of, like, once he succeeds, then he's got to go do more and do more and do more. That what might God ask of me if I just give, if I risk even this little one talent that I have? But, of course, he's punished for this. And he says, take that one talent and give it to the one who has ten. For the one who has much, more will be given, and the, the one who has little, even what he has, will be taken away. Well, it kind of sounds like the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, doesn't it? It doesn't sound that fair. But actually, of course, in the logic of the kingdom, it's exactly the opposite. It's the one who is poor that becomes rich. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice that they... they um, Recognize the ones truly that, that are rich in the sense that they have lots of talents are actually spiritually poor with them. They don't count those talents as their own. They don't say, this is mine. You know, they're poor in spirit even though they're rich in talent. They're rich in the gifts of God. Everyone who's poor in spirit is rich in the gifts of God. God pours out his blessings constantly, especially on those who depend on him most. But the one who thinks that this is, this is what I have and this, I can't risk it, I can't do anything dangerous. I put out an insurance policy on it. That's the one who thinks he's rich. It is rich in the things of the world, but is actually poor in the things that matter to God. I'll finish with this image. I think a great example of this is right here in the Gospels, in the story of the apostles. These men who are so poor, they have nothing. They're just fishermen and tax collectors and losers, you know, in the eyes of the world. But they are given this immense gift and in a way, the, the parable where the master leaves and he leaves his possessions to these trusted stewards and goes off, it's much like the ascension, right? When Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, he says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. With you how? In the church, in the spirit, in the sacraments. But you've got to go work. You've got to go do things. It's now on you. My work resides in you. My spirit is in you to build up the kingdom of God. And like the stewards in this parable, they immediately go out, the eleven. They immediately go out from Jerusalem and they start to evangelize. They start to build up the kingdom of God, do things that they never could have done before. Before they were cowards, huddled up in their upper room, burying their talent. The Spirit comes in and explodes their hearts and makes them brave, makes them martyrs, makes them apostles. And they're sent out. All but Judas, right? Judas, who had betrayed Christ, and, and couldn't confront, couldn't countenance this, this horrible thing that he'd done. He didn't ever want to look Jesus in the eye again after, 
having betrayed him with a kiss. And so he goes off and he hangs himself. Right? And he, he therefore does not open himself up to, to the mercy of God and, and in effect buries his talent. Whereas the Peter and the other apostles who ran away, Peter who denied Christ three times, they go back to him. They receive the mercy. They're restored and given this immense gift, and then they can go out. They're, Judas may have been the least of the apostles. He may have done the worst thing, but he was not irredeemable. If he had come back to Christ, if he had received reconciliation, been made whole again, he might have been least of the apostles, but he would have been an apostle. We could be saying Mass right now in St. Judas Iscariot Church. But he buried his talent. He did not believe that it was possible. He was too afraid. And so we find the mystery that this self-protective instinct, this thing in us that wants to bury the talent, that wants to avoid responsibility, wants to just get along and and give the one talent back to God when we get back to heaven, that that self-protective instinct is actually self-destructive because we're made for gift. We're made to be saints. We're made to be image and likeness of God who is perfect, utter love itself. And if we don't open our hands with the gifts that we're given and let them fall out in front of us into our neighbor and to glorify God and, and so receive even more back, our five could turn into five more. Our two could turn into two more. But if we hang on to what little we have, even what little will be taken away from us. But if we open our hands, if we receive the gift of God and give it back freely, then it'll just continue to grow and grow. And the wonders that God will do in his kingdom, we can't even imagine.